another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I'm your host, the Coupon Queen Ben. You know, things change throughout the years, and not only technology, the way we think, my next guest is going to help with just that. So I will definitely say parents, educators, anyone who cares for children or overseas education, definitely pay attention. But guys, let's take a moment out and I'll be right back with my guest, Stuart. So guys, like I was saying, I have Stuart Schenker and we've always talked about self-care, loving ourselves and all kinds of things, but Stuart's here to give us the scoop on all of it. So Stuart, please <laughs> introduce yourself to my listeners. <laughs> Good morning, Coupon Queen. I am a distinguished research professor emeritus of philosophy and psychology at York University. I was educated at Oxford, and I have written a trilogy of books about self-reg. Uh, one, the first one was for teachers called Calm Alert and Learning. The second one is for parents called Self-Reg. Self-Reg is the name of the method that I teach. And the third one, the recent one, is called Reframe Self-Reg for a Just Society. That pretty much tells you where I am these days. Okay, you keep saying self-reg. What is self-reg? Over the years, I developed this method of um, dealing with excessive stress in the kids that we work with or in ourselves. It's a five-step method. Uh, The history of it is I was trained in psychiatry by uh, really a a truly great American psychiatrist called Stanley Greenspan and um, ran a clinic at my university. It was a very, it was a first of its kind. Uh, We had a neuroscience lab on one side and a therapy uh, clinic on the other. And so we'd work with the kids and their families and then have a peek at what was happening in their brain before treatment and then as a result of treatment. And the end result of all this was I could see um, both, you know, uh, in terms of what was happening in their brains and what was happening in the clinic, I could see um, how we can identify the effects of excessive stress and how we can mitigate those effects, how we can lower the stress uh, on the child. And the end result is you begin to see a different child Um, because you are seeing the child differently. And this is huge. Um, What it really means is, you know, our sort of key slogan of self-reg is there is no such thing as a bad kid. And I've seen thousands and thousands of kids during the course of my career, and I have never, ever seen a bad kid. Okay, first of all, I'm like fangirling out right now, but you were trained by the Stanley Greenspan... (laughs) Okay, for those of you who don't understand why I'm fangirling out, and you know I only do this very few times, um, Stanley Greenspan was the one that helped us turn the corner on 
autism and special needs and kind of got us to where we are now in acceptance and teaching and everything. So like, this was your mentor. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's kind of like finding I out feel the that, same way that, you know, the person you, who you taught you superhero is, is like <laughs> or Batman or something. Okay. Hold on. I actually, I actually wrote, I actually wrote two books with Stanley and um, wow. yeah. And our 2004 book uh, was a major book called the first idea. And then, uh, unfortunately, we were just planning, uh, we were going to write a book together on um, the causes of um, mental health problems. And Stanley, unfortunately, died. Um, but right, I continued right. that. And self-reg is really, um, it devolved from all that work with Stan. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. Okay, so now that I've finished fangirling on about your mentor and I realize I'm not interviewing him I'm interviewing you next okay. best thing <laughs> um so now you said something that was very interesting to me which was the fact that children can feel so much stress and this tells uh tell like deals with how they react or how yeah. they behave Yep. And a lot of times we, you're right. We're labeling them as, yep. you know, that's just a bad kid. Yep. Now, how do we learn to, or how do we begin to learn to come away from that ideology? <laughs> well, you got to read one of my books. Um, the first step is, okay, so you got this five-step method, right? And the first step is called reframing. Now, what that's all about is we have to learn the difference between misbehavior and what we call stress behavior. So misbehavior, that's the kid knows what he's doing. Maybe he's testing limits, see what he can get away with. But stress behavior is very different. Uh, stress behavior is caused by systems deep inside the brain. And we are truly living um, through a revolution right now in neuroscience because we have the technology to actually see what's going on in the deep parts of the brain. And we can see how this is causing uh, the child to act in certain ways, not even knowing what he's saying or doing. So parents are going to uh, say, well, yeah, well, that's the key, eh? Right, so parents, right. So parents are going to say, well, how do I know which is which? How do I know when he's when it's misbehavior and when it's stress behavior? Right, which, which was going to be my next question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, there are all kinds of signs of when it's stress behavior. Um, and that's pretty much what we teach. So I'll just give you a very simple example. Uh, the child's voice changes. And what happens is um, the pitch goes up. So he's he speaks at a slightly higher pitch, maybe a slightly faster rhythm. And if you talk to, if you ask parents, they'll tell you uh, once they start to learn this, you know, I knew I was in another room and I could tell just by his voice that something was going on. So what's going on is that when the kid is under excessive stress, what it does is it triggers um, certain uh, fight or flight behavior, certain, certain, uh, certain reaction very deep inside the brain. Unfortunately, it also shuts down 
the parts of the brain that we really want to talk to. It shuts down the kid's ability to hear what you're saying or to think through what he's doing. This is serious because if you punish a child for stress behavior, thinking wrongly that it was misbehavior, that he knew what he was doing, he intended it, but it wasn't anything like that. It was just his reaction to stress. You are going to make everything 10 times worse. You're going to add to that child's stress load or that teenager's stress load. Um, you are going to send them into either fight, flight, or freeze. And more often it's freeze where the child just shuts down and we think, ah, oh, now he's listening. Now he's paying attention. But in fact, a very deep, a very primitive system in the brain has taken over. And can I just tell you one last thing, Queen? Sure. Well, there's a very interesting thing about this. Um, so one of the things we did was when kids were in this state where they're very still, they're very quiet. And this is the state where we think, well, now we got them where we want them. Now they're paying attention. But in fact, they're not. Um, they are not processing what you're saying because that part of the brain has shut down. So what we looked at was we wanted to know, well, what's going on when the kid's in this state? It's like, you know, what's going on in my car if I lift up the hood? And it turns out the child is in a very heightened state of sympathetic arousal. It's an arousal of a part of the, of the autonomic nervous system. So his heart is beating like crazy. He's breathing faster. His blood pressure has gone up. And at the same time, his brain is shutting down uh, things that he really needs, like his immune system, his digestive system. So when we send children into this state of freeze, into this state that we mistakenly thought was compliance, we are actually causing harm. That harm may show up right away. It may show up in 10 years. It may show up when they're an adult, but we are causing harm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with all the work on inflammation. Uh, right, infl right. Uh, so we are causing inflammation. Um, wow. Yes. I was, I was going to ask that because I'm figuring this is not something, like you said, that would show up maybe not right away. We would notice it if you got it shows it. up right away. You got but it. The very fact that you're saying it's shutting down vital systems. Yeah. Um, now, here's the question I also have. Is this something that we can see in adults? I know yeah, we're talking about that's a Just a super question. Uh, and that's really the point of my last book of Reframed. Um, so when you look, for example, in your country at the state of uh, this horrendous polarization, where people can't, you know, if they're from opposite sides, they can't even talk to each other. What we find is that they're in, in, in self-reg, it's called red brain. And red brain is when the limbic okay. system is running the show. And they're in red brain. And so if what we're after is we want to bring about some sort of meaningful political dialogue, uh, the first thing we got to do is get them out of red brain. And we have you know, all kinds of people that are quite deliberately stoking this in citizens, you know, sending them into red brain. It's not hard to do, right? Um, right. So, so we have to bring them back into, into what we call blue brain, which is that front part of the brain, the thinking part. What's really sad for me is uh, we work on, uh, when we do our work with kids and, and teens, so we get told over and over, um, well, you know, this kid has a low IQ, so there's not much you're going to be able to do. 
But in fact, it turns out that even something like IQ or intelligence is a function of the stress system. And when the child is overstressed, uh, there are these things we call limbic breaks. It stops the kid from thinking. It stops the kid from problem solving. Now, if you can release those breaks and you do that by lowering the child's stress, oh my God, I didn't know this kid was that sharp. I didn't know this kid had this creativity. You're just blown away by the new child that you see. Right, that, right. The, the sad part is that's true for every single kid. Every single kid. Okay, so I have a question. Yep. Is this why now I'm taking into account everything you just said? Is this why sometimes, and parents, I really, really want you to listen. When sometimes the home life is not yeah. the best at school and the teacher says, well, you know, like, Johnny, are you listening? And they actually weren't retaining it. Yeah. So I want to give you a two-part answer to that question, okay? Sure. So the first, the first part is real simple. The answer is yes. Okay. Yeah, of course you're right. But we saw something really interesting in our clinic. So we were, uh, we only worked with kids that were having trouble. And the trouble may have been behavior or the trouble may have been making friends or the trouble may have been in learning. And so right away, you know, we hear the same thing. Well, you know, there must be, you know, it must be a really high stress home environment. But when we went and worked with the parents, what we found was really warm and loving parents or parent or grandparent or whoever. And quite often what happens is the child who's having trouble probably has what we call hypersensitivities. So certain things are stresses for that child that aren't for another, like, like smells. Or, or tastes, you know, the kid who can't eat mashed potatoes if it's got any kind of skin in it. But that child's not being picky, he's not being fussy, he's not being neurotic, he's, he's this is a stress response and we have to reframe it. Um, he's very sensitive to certain things. Uh, mom and dad, what we found was, um, you know, quite often the parent or parents learn this, recognize this, and we're able to create a home environment where the child didn't have this stress response. They could, they could adjust their parenting. But then the kid gets to school and he's with another adult. And the adult is really connecting, um, taking over this role. It's called an interbrain, this role of regulating the kid's brain, like it or not. And that adult doesn't read the science, doesn't know when the child's overstressed or doesn't know what the stresses are. So I said to you, I had a sort of, you know, twofold answer. Yes, you're right. A lot mm -hmm. of these problems are because of stresses in the home. But a lot of these problems are because of stresses in the school environment where the uh, educator doesn't have the knowledge about the child that the parents had. Uh, so we call that fragile, secure attachment, meaning that you can undo. Uh, and we see we saw this over and over. You can undo um, the sort of calm child. The child was calm in the home. So both things can happen. And uh, I just want to add a third sort of qualification. A lot of those stresses in the home um, may have nothing to do with mom and dad. 
uh, or whoever. Right, right. They can be physical stresses. It can be, did you see that uh, National Geographic piece on the temperature gradient in Los Angeles this week? No, I haven't seen that. Well, it's absolutely riveting. Uh, and so what they found was there's a 12 degree differential between the low income areas of a certain street and the high income. So the low income doesn't have trees, et cetera, and it's 12 degrees hotter. But this is serious because we know that uh, temperature has to drop to 85 degrees or below during the night in order for the brain to restore. So what's happening is um, you're seeing kids that uh, aren't restoring and because they're not, you know, from sleep and because they're not restoring properly, you get problems. You get problems in behavior, you get problems in attention, but these are stress behaviors. In this case, it was the physical stress of being in an overheated environment. So there's a lot going on here that we can change. Wow. I mean, yeah, this is this is like something I have never even thought of. Whoa. Yeah, it makes you pause, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. I mean, who would th think that something as simple as temperature would yep. be so impactful? You know, they found uh, there's a, a startling study that found that uh, people that live close to an airport have higher rates of immune system related disorders like cardiovascular. And what we realized was the sound of the airplanes is a physical stress. So even while they're, even while they're sleeping, their nervous system is being stressed. Now you stop and you think about, you know, being in an area where it's overcrowded, the walls are thin, there's constant noise. And you begin to understand that when we talk about high levels of stress, the first thing we should be looking at are physical stresses, noise, light, heat. Mm, okay. Wow. So in other words, this is why a lot of times during, how can we say, during renovations or during yeah. construction, yeah. people are a little bit more on edge and especially yeah. children. Yeah, it's a stress. It's a physical stress. And in fact, the, the guy who founded this whole uh, science, this American called Walter Bradford Cannon, and the stresses, the original stresses he looked at were only physical. He didn't even look at emotional stress. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I have a question. Yep. Because you've been talking about this, not only from the psychology side, but from the neurology side. Yes. Now, is this something where when we see our children, you know, in this kind of, let's say we recognize the distress, yeah. should we then ask their pediatrician possibly for a neurologist or for, or is this something that we should take them then to maybe some sort of change in doctor I'm, I'm 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 really asking i'm very curious okay so that's a great question because we are currently one of the things we're doing right now is teaching pediatricians uh how to do self-reg um so the skills that okay so you know you're asking okay so now i recognize that this is stress behavior in my child uh, what do i do um so the next step is you got to figure out the stresses and uh, we talk about parents becoming stress detectives. And there are, uh, we did 
did uh, years and years of study tabulating all the stresses that kids have. Some of them are, are astonishing. You would never think is a stress, but they are. So for example, uh, birthday parties are a big stress on kids, uh, physical stress. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. If you've ever had a child at a birthday party, you'll know it makes sense. Right. It re- oh, gosh. Yes, it does. So we, what we did was we did something called a, a factor analysis where we basically reduced all the, these hundreds and hundreds. By the way, your, your, your listeners can get a free copy of that um, stress inventory off our website, which uh, I gave you at, at the top, uh, selfreg.ca. Um, but we grouped them into five groups. And the five groups are physical, emotional, cognitive, social, and something called pro-social. So the idea here, when you start to identify the stresses, is don't assume you know what it is. Don't assume that, you know, uh, it's an emotional stress, that my child is having trouble with a clique. Um, because right. there's, there's always, it's always, you know, what you'll find is when my child has too much physical stress, um, that makes them more susceptible to say someone saying something mean. Uh, when they feel when they're restored, properly restored, they they don't couldn't care less. So we always look at at all five domains, even if we're sure we know what it is. It turns out you, there's always more than one, and probably all five. The next step, the third step, is now we got to reduce the stress. So one of the questions that we get asked a lot is, you know, how do I reduce the stress of um, the pandemic? Uh, and the yes, pandemic, yes. Well, the pandemic is a huge stress. It's a stress on every kid. It's a big stress because children need other children to to regulate themselves. So, we find a, a couple of things, and the big thing is when a child is growing up, the child's brain, um, a child's brain goes through a huge change at around the age of ten, a massive change. But up until the age of 10, the kid needs their parent or whoever's the, you know, um, primary caregiver to calm them down. They can't calm themselves down. And the primary caregiver does it through maybe through softening their voice, through, you know, scratching their back, whatever the kid likes that they find calming. But the basic thing is the brain, the human brain in a child is wired in such a way it needs the parent to play that role because I can't do it on my own. What we found during the pandemic is that when um, the, uh, I should have just mentioned that at the age of 10, what happens, they be, the brain begins to shift and now they get that same effect from peers, from friends and not from their parent. But during the pandemic, um, there's a massive regression going on. Uh, and what that means is we're seeing children and teens regressing in, in terms of the brain, regressing to around the age of two and three. Oh, wow. Yeah. At the age of two and three, what they need is mommy. What they need is they need that gentle hug, caress. So uh, one of the hard things to teach people is um, if the kid's overstressed, stop talking because uh, that becomes a stress. The child's not going to process what you're saying. Don't explain. Just be there for the child. Just make that child feel safe and secure that will turn off the that will turn off the stress response and in the meantime we're going to lower whatever stresses we can and we're going to figure out um you know what are the 
hidden stresses in my child's life. So an example of a hidden stress is actually soft drinks. They are uh, a hidden physiological stress. So we're going to try to cut that back because too much glucose is a, is a talk is toxic. It's a stress. Right. Anyways, it, it's a complicated area. Um, uh, what we're seeking here is um, there's a switch inside the brain that when you feel safe, and it doesn't matter if you're a child, a teenager, or in your example, an adult, when you feel safe, not only does your alarm system shut down, so you're not, it's not saying danger, 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 but it triggers uh, this reaction, which floods the, which floods the, the body with healing uh, hormones. They, they, they restore, mm. yeah, restores your digestive system, restores your immune system. And the side effect is it feels damn good. It feels, you feel peaceful. You feel calm. Right, content. right. So that's what we're aiming for here. What we're aiming for is to help them calm, you know, find calm. And what we're seeing during the pandemic, but even before, is a generation of kids who really don't know what calm feels like. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. Okay. No. One, I do notice that you keep saying, you keep classifying children, teens, and adults. And I think because we always go from straight from like childhood into adulthood, is there a real difference in the brain in the, those three phases? Oh, that's a terrific question. Um, there are brain differences. So we sort of, um, we sort of um, demarcate stages. Uh, the first one is roughly speaking zero to 10. The next one is roughly speaking 10 until 24. Now, one of the things that does happen is that um, uh, everything we do is called self-regulation. And self-regulation means how you manage stress. Right. Now, the thing about how you manage stress is you can do it in ways that are uh, unproductive. Um, we call it maladaptive self-regulation. So maybe the way you deal with stress in your life is um, you by avoidance. Uh, I find math stressful, so I'm going to do everything I can to get out of math. Or maybe you turn as an adult to things like drinking or, or um, you know, take, take, have marijuana, whatever. And um, the problem with maladaptive is uh, first of all, uh, the stress is just going to come back, um, and maybe even more so, uh, because you haven't actually dealt with what are what was the stress that was causing all this. You have you know you've left those problems simmering. Now, what we want is we want growth promoting um, self regulation. We want mm -hmm. um, uh, and that means um, a way of self regulating that adapts to new stresses like the pandemic in a way that makes us grow physically. We're talking about growth at the cellular level. So the problem that we see is around the age of 10, uh, maladaptive ways of dealing with stress become entrenched. 
So, ah. yeah. And now we can start to make predictions as psychologists about, um, you know, that we can predict, for example, the kid, the 10 year old reacts to crowds in this way, uh, to social, you know, uh, stress in this way. We can predict that when he's 60, he's going to react the same way. Um, and that's a pretty strong prediction. So all these aspects of personality really start to become entrenched. IQ starts to become entrenched. But, and there's a big but, and you put your finger on it about 10 minutes ago. Okay, so now I've got an adult who's got these entrenched ways, these entrenched maladaptive ways of dealing with stress, stress in his life. Does that mean, you know, he's, he, he's done for? He can't change? And the answer is, there's never a point in the lifespan where we can't change our trajectory. There's ah. never. So what we do is, so we've seen some, there's been some astonishing work done with the elderly who have a high number of medical problems. And so what we do is we teach them self-reg and the medical problems uh, decline. Um, there's never a point at which we can't change our pathway by figuring out what, when, first I knowing when I'm overstressed, and that's a real problem, by the way. Um, the way the brain works is the more stressed we are, the less like, likely we are to know that we're overstressed. So we have to start to do, do some reframing with ourself. Uh, we have to reframe our impulses, uh, not try to control them. Do you want me to give you an example? Sure, because I was going to say, how do we how do we reframe? What, what what do you mean? Okay, so let me give you a real good example. Uh, so we got a real problem in our society with obesity, uh, and obesity is actually what we call the cause of obesity is not poor willpower. Uh, willpower has nothing to do with it. The, the The cause is something called hypercortisolism, and that means too much stress has caused too much cortisol in the bloodstream, which causes a whole bunch of changes in how the body, um, I'll give you one example. We have a little uh, neurohormone that tells us uh, when we're full and too much stress um, uh, deactivates that hormone. We don't get those signals. Oh. So, yeah. Okay. So here we've got a culture now that says, well, you know, you just need willpower. You know, you got to get on a diet and stick to it. And, and, um, and if you don't, you're weak. If you don't, you have no one else to blame but yourself. And so what we've now done is on top of the physical stresses that this individual was under, we have now added uh, what's called pro-social stress. They start to beat themselves up. But in fact, it's nothing to do with that. Uh, and so this is an aspect of science, which um, it's been huge in the scientific literature. It just hasn't penetrated into the public. Um, so how do I reframe an impulse? Okay, so here I am, and I get this, uh, I am now in, you know, if I'm flirting with obesity, I am in a, um, a state of hyper, uh, of uh, hyper arousal, it's called hyper sympathetic arousal. So I get an impulse, a really strong impulse. And I get the impulse to eat some, um, something that I associate with that that immediate sense of being calm, of being soothed, some food that, uh, you know, whatever it is. So in this case, um, that food and 
pretty often, if not always, it's going to be engineered to really produce that uh, short burst of feeling, you know, really feeling good. Uh, and they can do that and they know how to do it. And the problem is, this is maladaptive. This is a maladaptive way of dealing with your stress. Um, it's maladaptive because it keeps, the, it keeps the cycle going, the stress cycle going. Uh, you put on weight, which is adding uh, physical stress and so on. So now what we want to do is we want to reframe that impulse. So uh, I'll give you a great example. So yesterday afternoon, um, I was working really hard um, and it was hot up here. So I have a number of stresses going on and I suddenly got this incredibly strong impulse to have, you know, a fairly significant alcoholic drink. But uh, what I said to myself was, hmm, that's really interesting. Why do I want that drink now? Right, right. Because that's kind of counterproductive. It's, counter, it's, it's going to be. Um, so, um, so this is what I do. And, and everybody, we have to find our own way. But I, I do meditation. So I thought, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to meditate for five minutes with some deep breathing. And at the end of it, um, if I still want to drink, I'll go have the drink. So that's what I did. And of course, what happened through the course of the meditation as my mind quieted down, that when I came out of it, uh, I didn't need the drink. I didn't want to drink anymore. In fact, I felt um, kind of calm. And I started to look at the birds in my backyard. The point, that's what we mean by reframing an impulse. The impulses tell you when you are overstressed. We don't, we don't have a stress gauge. We don't know when we're going into that overstressed state, but we get these impulses. And the impulses are in fact wonderful for us because they tell us, take a break, stop what you're doing, close your eyes wherever you are, just, just get back to grounding yourself. And um, when we talk then about uh, um, uh, stress disorder, it's called the stress syndrome. And it's basically, uh, it starts off, you know, we were overstressed by all kinds of things in our life. Uh, but then our body starts to be, produce its own stress. And that's what happens when you're caught in something like obesity or caught in depression. So what we have to do now, maybe we're going to need some medical help. Um, you know, for example, if our sleep is broken down. But in the meantime, what we have to do is we have to begin the process of figuring out why was I overstressed? What were the stresses? And what can I do now to bring myself down? So that's step four. Step four self-reg is getting back to calm, getting back to being uh, reflective, being aware that you were overstressed. And then the final step is uh, restoration, step five. Mm -hmm. step five. Step five is really interesting because in step five, you're not thinking at all the thinking part of your brain just shuts down. Wow. That is, that is, that is, I, I don't even have the words for what that is. <laughs> wow. But you know, like for me, it's really tough because I started doing this work. Uh, I started doing this work a long time ago and uh, I was working in the far North of Canada and uh, here, uh, what happens is if you're a First Nations child, you have a very strong likelihood that you're going to end up in the, in the legal system. 
and it broke my heart because these were kids. Uh, you know, we talk about the grade three to prison pipeline. Right. Uh, and it broke my heart because I just saw the child, a child who had a wonderful future. If I could just explain um, or teach the parents, teach the educators, whoever, you know, that this, your child is, this child is overstressed. That's what it's telling us. Um, so I didn't want to lose a kid. That's basically where I started this. Then, um, you know, so we started having, you know, we have these annual symposia and I noticed that uh, an awful lot of the adults that were coming uh, to the symposia were seriously overweight or obese or obese. And this broke my heart because nobody had told them that this is a stress syndrome. The right, right. I mean, because we don't equate anything with a lot of these things are you think you have to get rid no. of medically you yeah. just had think that you have to and no one says it wasn't until I was I had actually gone to a doctor and she looks at me and she says you know queen pen what do you know about meditation Maybe you need to try to learn to meditate. And I'm looking at her like, well, aren't you just supposed to like prescribe me something Fascinating. for this? You so, know? So, what so what happened? And I really started looking at it and it was like, you know what? I need to get my calmness factor into this. I need to. And, and, it, and it started making such a difference. So do you want me to tell you something interesting about you? what <laughs> um so you remember i said to you just before we came on air that you had a great voice yes okay so i actually thought and when i was listening to you um when i was listening to the podcast i thought this is a person who is doing meditation that's what i thought because your calmness uh, it radiates through your voice and the reason that's the reason why your podcast is having an impact, an impact uh, because you are calm yourself and that calmness comes through and it calms your listener. Wow. Well, thank you. I, oh my gosh, I, you've actually got me blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I never would have thought that. I never would have thought that. But it was just that particular moment. And, and, and we always think, you know, there's a pill for this. There's a pill for that. There's a supplement. There's a something. Yeah. But that few moments of, yes, hey, you know, and, and yes. I think, and I will say this to my listeners, I have had to learn myself that meditation is not necessarily drinking unicorn juice and saying some <laughs> mantra and turning around 10 times and just going home and sitting and you know yeah. all these weird things because these are the things that we're taught you yeah. know when we watch television yeah. so it is not that it is no. not that no so yeah but it and and i will tell you it does make such a difference even a few minutes a week makes such a difference so now what we know is that um, we understand that when you do that few minutes 
you're actually triggering what's called a parasympathetic reaction, which is healing, which is restoring those vital systems. Wow. Yep. So ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing it. If you want to, you know, we always thought the mommy, you know, that mommy in the bathroom moment <laughs> was just like, mom needs to recharge. Mom needs to before. And, and you hear the kids banging on the door. No, mommy needs to meditate. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we teach our teachers is there is a direct, you have a direct uh, brain to brain connection with any child or any adult. It's called uh, limbic resonance. So you have to be calm yourself in order to calm a child. What you say is irrelevant. What the child is listening to, or the child deep inside the child's brain, the limbic system is listening to, is your limbic system. If you're oh. limbic. Yeah. And so I mentioned right at the outset today about how you can, you can spot stress behavior when the child's voice changes. Right. Okay, but the opposite is, now we're talking about the opposite. So here we have uh, Queen Penn, who is doing something stressful. Podcasts are stressful. You're, you know, you have to concentrate. But over the, over the years now, um, you've learned how to ground yourself. And that all comes through your voice. You speak slower. You have a lower tone. Right. All, of, all of this is sending a signal to other limbic systems. Oh, I can calm down. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I didn't realize I had that much of an effect, but thank you. Yep. So I did have another question. Okay, go ahead. And this question is, is extended, and I'm going to explain to you guys what this is, is extended or severe echolalia in older toddlers a stress response? And for those that don't know, echolalia is where the child repeats back exactly what you say. So you say, do you want to eat? And the child, instead of answering you, just repeats, do you want to eat? So uh, you are someone who's been working with children on the spectrum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our clinic um, was primarily for kids on the spectrum. And um, the first thing, and so, uh, you know, I mentioned we had a team of therapists uh, and three of our therapists were speech language pathologists. So um, uh, echolalia is exactly what you just described. And for the reason that you just described, so how am I supposed to treat it? So there has been various attempts to suppress echolalia in a child on the spectrum and they don't work. And in fact, they stress the child. So we took a very different approach, and this is absolutely the result of Greenspan. Uh, instead, what we did was we reduced the stress load on the child. And we did this in all kinds of ways. We figured out, we, we did our, you know, the full uh, five domain um, uh, a model of stress. But speech itself is very stressful for a kid. And what they're doing in echolalia is trying to reduce the stress they're feeling. 
Um, they know a response is expected from them. Uh, they don't really, they're, they're so overstressed that their language seizes up. And so the easiest way to give you a response is just to repeat back what you said. So what we did instead was we lowered the stress temperature. And um, I'll give you just a wonderful example of this. Uh, this is in my second book, in the self-reg book. So we were working with a mom uh, who, um, it wasn't echolalia. The problem she was having, it was a 13-year-old, was uh, she would very calmly try to explain, you know, that this makes no sense or what you're doing is crazy or what you're thinking about yourself is nuts. And it would turn into a fight. And um, every single night they were having these just rip roaring fights. And then one or other or both would storm out of the room. So it was always in her bedroom. So when we worked with mom, we literally said to her, okay, so you're not allowed to say anything. No matter what she says, no matter, you know, you know, how hurtful it is because kids use words instead of their fists. Um, we want you to go out into the hall. And literally, this is an example where we said we want you to do some, some belly breathing. Uh, just calming yourself down. Now, when you go back into the room, you're not allowed to say anything. Um, and if you must say something, you can just sort of murmur, I love you, sweetheart. But what we want to do is we need to establish that connection with the child. We need the child to feel safe with us. If I'm working with the kid that has echolalia, I need that child to feel safe way before I get to words. Now, here was a case with this 13-year-old where... Um, the mom knew that this was a kid who loved to be, when she was a child, an infant, she loved to be scratched on her back. Ah, okay. Uh, so as working with kids on the spectrum, you know that, um, you know, scratching, brushing, these are things that the children often find very soothing. So, but that applies to all kids. So, right, the problem, right. but the problem is you, you need permission. You can't just barge in and and force you know start to scratch away uh, if you do it becomes a threat so you've got to ask the child for permission to scratch them or hug them or whatever it is you want to do however i said at the start this is a child who's in deep stress whose language has 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 broken down if you ask them a question they will not be able to answer they will only get more stressed as we ask them to answer so we have another way of doing it. And this is what we use in the clinic. We told mom, um, what you need to do is maybe just put your finger inside her fist and say, which is non-threatening, and say to her, would you like me to scratch your back? If you would, squeeze. So she tried it and the little kid and the 13 year old squeezes the finger back. Wow. What you've just done is you've now made the child feel safe and you've, you've reestablished that brain-to-brain that -brain connection that we need. So she starts to scratch the child. Uh, she starts to scratch the back. And after 15, now the fights were going on for hours. After 15 minutes, they were lying on the child's bed uh, with the lights off. We, you know, we do certain things to lower stresses. 
after 15 minutes, the kid says, I have to go to sleep. I love you, mommy. Okay. Wow. Now, what had happened was the memory was from infancy, the memory of mom making her feel safe. And mom told us, when she's telling us all this, she said, it's the first time she'd call me mommy in years and years and years. The whole fight had been precipitated by the kid had asked for a gray hood, uh, for a pink hoodie, and mom had bought her a gray one instead. So mom, you know, she goes out in the hall and she says, holy shit, you know, this stuff really works. Um, now she feels bad. So she says, she's all prepared to say to the child the next day, um, after work, we'll go together and we'll get you, find you the pink hoodie. But the next morning, the child comes down to breakfast wearing the gray hoodie. So the gray right, hoodie, right. It, it was never the issue. So what we're doing um, with any child, but especially with the kids uh, that are on the spectrum, and I'm speaking to you now as, as the parent of a child on the spectrum, who's okay. doing pretty, who, he's 19 now, he's doing pretty well in life. Asperger's so it can be a little maddening at times but doing pretty good nice yeah it is nice he's got a job now so it's transformational um but what we want is you know before you get to you know using your pronouns properly or whatever uh, I just want you to feel safe I want you to calm down I don't want you now one of the things we learned from Stanley is that those those Behave, those language, those language skills we want, they will emerge naturally um, in just ordinary interactions, provided the child feels safe. So, right, that's, right. so that's our big deal. Right. So, the, so that's a long answer to a, to a sh short answer to your question, which was, yes, you're, <laughs> you're dead right. <laughs> wow. So, okay. I will ask you this. Is there a way to help parents? Um, and I have come across this. Yeah. Where a parent realizes something's not quite right. Yep. But, and there's a huge but here. Yep. When the help is offered the parent kind of regresses and says, yep. there's nothing wrong with my kid. <laughs> That's a great question. So how do we help the parent accept the help being offered so that we can then in turn actually help the child? Okay, so I'm going to give you a circuitous answer to a really good question. About, I don't know, 20 years ago, I was asked if I could bring uh, self-reg into a school district in British Columbia. Uh, so I came and, um, and you know, talked about all the stuff that we were doing. And there were quite a few teachers that, you know, they were gung-ho, they really wanted to learn this. But there were several that were, oh, you know, this, this really sucks. This is just, you know, permissive parenting all over again. What these kids need is a tough dose of, you know, discipline. Uh, so when somebody's in that mindset, 
you know, your temptation is to argue with them, but that's never going to work. Right. And so what we want to do is we just need them to feel safe and come to us when they're ready. So I had this one in particular, and she was writing uh, blogs attacking me. Um, and, you know, I was at a point in my life where I didn't care. I just, you know, thought that she'll come when she's ready to come. And uh, sure enough, one day she looks across the hall. Uh, there's another teacher with the same grade and her class is happy, quiet and content. And hers is a, just a nightmare. And then the penny sort of drops and starts to talk to this other teacher. Anyways, that woman became my foremost champion in, in BC uh, as a result. Wow. Yeah. So what we've started to do now when we work with parents is so we hold like special parenting institutes, things like that. Way before we get to the kid, we work with them on their self-reg needs. Self-reg, the emphasis in self-reg is on self. So what we're going to you know, what we're going to, uh, here's a, a standard question we'll ask. How are you sleeping? You know, you fall asleep nicely. Uh, you sleep the night through. Um, wake up in the morning refreshed. I have never, ever, uh, when I'm working with, with families that are having trouble uh, and don't want to admit it, I've never, ever had a parent say I'm a great sleeper. Never. Um, so... We use that as an entry point into, well, you know, your sleep problems or um, there are, you know, I talk about reframing the impulse. So now they're, they're a sign that you're, you know, you're really overstressed and you're not going through that normal uh, um, down-regulating moment that leads to restorative sleep. So we start to do self-reg with parents. And now every single symposium that we do, I mentioned, you know, we do these summer symposia. The first day is always on teacher self-reg. The first day is always on parent self-reg. When we get to, to working with the kid, the last thing I want to do is become a threat, uh, to threaten their sense of parental, um, I can't think of the right word, you know, effectiveness, you know, say you're not a very good parent because look at your kid. Uh, and that's never the case. Uh, families, especially today, uh, have enormous stresses. The kids have enormous stresses. And so what we want to do is um, we want to be very soft in how we approach this so that they are the ones that begin to reframe. So we're not going to talk, you know, just talk in general terms. Um, let me just give you one simple example. Uh, one of the reasons why I wrote Reframed is because okay. we, uh, we, we're seeing now um, an absolute epidemic of kids who, who hate math, um, who by the age, incidentally, this is by the age of 10, we can identify they have something called high math anxiety. It's about 40% of all kids. Really? Yeah. Yeah, math is sending them into high anxiety. So math is what we call a cognitive stress. I won't explain it now, but we can, uh, what a cognitive stress is. But if you think about it, you just say, well, math is your perfect example. So then we want to figure out, 
well, why is math such a cognitive stress? Uh, again, this is a little complicated, so you have to read the book because I have a whole chapter on how you figure it out, but you can't. Um, what you can do is you can figure out why it's so stressful for the child, and we can figure out how to, how to reduce that cognitive stress so that the child begins to enjoy this, sees this um, like a puzzle, sees this as a game. And you can always do it, right? So what we want to do when we work with parents is the kind of parent you were describing, typically they would have come to us because of a specific problem. And so let's say that math is the reason why they've come. They've only, I'm only here, you know, I got a great kid. It's just, he's having a little trouble in math. Okay. So we're just going to work on that. But as they see the changes that occur by reducing the stress of the car of, of math, they, they begin to, now they want to learn more. They want to learn, well, you know, the truth is that he does have a little bit of trouble too with social relations. Okay, so now we're going to figure, okay, well, let's talk about social stress. So we ease our way in. Um, incidentally, uh, I firmly believe we can reach every, every family that you just described. Right, um, right. But, but then we, as, as whoever we are, if we're a clinician or if we're a teacher, whatever, we have to be calm or we can't do it. If I'm not calm, if I'm not in that state of, you know, low... Um, uh, we use a chart for this. So if I'm not in that state on the chart, which tells me that, you know, I'm calm, my voice is calm, uh, I'm not going anywhere with this family, forget it. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be gone or they'll never come back again. Right, right. So, okay, I have to say this then. Yep. Parents, one, notice he's not saying anyone is a bad parent. Nope. He's not questioning anyone's parenting skills. Nope. as you have heard him say several times. Nope. So don't think, oh my gosh, my child is so stressed. I'm doing something <laughs> wrong. Oh I'm glad God. you said that. Because guys, understand one thing, we are our children's first teacher. So if you're starting to stress out about the fact that your child is stressed, guess what? <laughs> They're now stressing out about the fact that you're stressed. That's, that's terrific. <laughs> that's really, really good you said that. So the other thing is, I do want to say is be careful how you are making your child's other caregivers feel, i.e. teachers, yeah. tutors, yeah. babysitters, yep. because if they feel stressed when yes. they are caring for your child or your children, this stress now goes over to your children. They can't see the need that's they just that's just terrific the the you know and 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 i've said this before but don't be the reason you cannot find a babysitter for your kid. <laughs> no that's don't just be the that, reason you can't find a tutor for your kid yeah. so in other words yes and let me tell you something tutors babysitters teachers everybody talks <laughs> So don't think, oh, yeah, well, Miss Smith has no problem. No, Miss Smith can't find a babysitter, teacher, or tutor because everyone's had a conversation and Miss Smith just hasn't been a part of it. <laughs> That's just terrific advice. So, really, yes. Really, but really good. 
but be careful because in other words, everyone wants to have the child's best interest at heart. Yes. So in order to keep a stressful or as possibly a stress-free environment for the child, because guess what? They are going to have their own stresses. Yep. Don't make it difficult on the other caregivers in their life. That's all I'm saying. I think it's wonderful that you said that. Okay. Uh, we, in our own work, by the way, we have looked at the stress levels of teachers and oh my God, the stresses we pile on them is just, it's just outrageous. Well, let's put it this way. I was a homeschooling parent and within two years, I wanted to give every teacher an award. <laughs> yeah. Being there, done that myself. <laughs> I wanted to give every teacher an award. It was like, you deal with 30 personalities. I have one and I'm about to yeah. like lose it. <laughs> yeah. Been there too. Yes. Yes. So, oh my gosh, Stuart, we have to have you back. Okay. I, I, I just, I just, I enjoyed this and not, not for the fact of your mentor, you actually gave some amazing, <laughs> amazing information. You dropped gem after gem. Thank you. I, I, I really need to have you back. Okay. But tell everyone where they can find you, how they can get, you know, be a part of the symposium that you're speaking at every Tuesday in July. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you go to www.self-reg.ca, self-reg.ca, and also on that website, um, there's tons of free stuff for parents. So uh, we have, you know, we receive re support that um, we want this to be available to everybody. Uh, and then, of course, there's my books. And you can get the books from Amazon. And um, I kind of believe that we are in the midst now of a, a genuine revolution. And so people like you, Queen Pen. Uh, you're the ones that we need. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just a, just a scientist who writes, but it's reaching out to parents, giving them the most uh, precious thing that we want them to feel, and that is hope. We want every parent to have hope. Wow, that is so well said. Thank you so much again. Okay. And guys, if you missed any of it, his information, you know, is in the show notes. So you won't miss a thing. Make sure you're going to selfreg.ca. And of course, that's self-reg.ca. And if you need to get in on a symposium, get the information. Because <laughs> guess what? You can get the information. What you do with it, how you utilize it is all on you. But again, thank you so much, Stuart. You're welcome. Keep it up. Guys, I hope that you got all of the gems out of this one. And I must say, Dr. Shanker will definitely be back. All of his information, of course, is in the show notes, so you won't miss a thing. But as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey everyone, it's Angelica from A Little Bit of Everything With Me podcast, and you're listening to CQP Moments with the Coupon Queen Pen. Don't forget to like 
and subscribe and rate her podcast.